wonderful work, wonderful work. I, I love it. I want us to always be friendly, always be gregarious, outgoing. It's just wonderful. It's actually what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, if you would, grab your notes out of your handout. And you'll see we are continuing a series called Transform. Very, very excited about the work that God's doing in our whole church as we take this journey together. And, and, and this idea, the metamorphosis that we're trying to cooperate with God about is even more radical than um, moving from a caterpillar to cocoon to a butterfly. It's even, even more of a metamorphosis than that. And the scripture says this, it's on your notes if you want to look it up. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all are being transformed into his image, look at this, with ever-increasing glory. You might want to circle that phrase. Some of your translations, you look it up in your Bible, it says from glory to glory. Right? This, this kind of ascending glory type of a picture, which comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God who is the Spirit. And that's what the Bible says, and, and that's what we've been talking about. That's what we want to embrace as we go along this faith journey. And, and we've talked about that God is the one who does the heavy lifting when it comes to transformation. He's the one who, who does all the hard work. He's the one that provides all of the materials, everything we need to be transformed. God is the one who gives it to us. We, however, are challenged to make every effort to cooperate with his work of transformation. And this is what we've been talking about so far, that we're making every effort to cooperate with God who does the heavy lifting of transformation in our lives. And we've said, this doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to be people who worship first. It doesn't come naturally to be people who are grateful always. It doesn't come naturally for us to be people who avoid the areas where we stumble. In fact, just the opposite comes naturally. It, it comes naturally for us to put ourselves first. It, it comes naturally for us to grumble always. It comes naturally for us to be drawn to the areas where we stumble like a moth to a bug zapper. That's what comes naturally. So we recognize we need God's work within us. And we've talked about how the only way this happens is for us to draw close to Jesus to pursue intimacy with Jesus. Because the closer we draw to Jesus, the Bible says, then the closer he draws to us. And, and that's where transformation happens. And so we're all going through this journey together. It's not just sermon series. It's not just what we're talking about on Sunday morning. We, we have a devotion guide. It's called Rooted 201. It is also what our life groups are, gonna go, are going through right now. So they're processing this week by week. It's what our young adults are being taught. It's what our students are going through, our elementary school kids, everybody at Overlake taking this journey together. Very, very excited about the good work that God is doing. Okay, and, and we talked last week, we ended the, the message last week by saying this, but what does transformation produce? What is, the, what is the transformation, all of this hard work of transformation, what's it for? What's the outcome, if you will? And, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. We're, we're talking about what transformation produces is so incredible, it is so profound, it's so radical, it's so wonderful that Jesus himself is the only person that has ever consistently lived it. And if you, if you want to write this in the margin somewhere, this is it. 
that transformation produces outlandish love. That's what it produces. It, it produces outlandish love. But before we drill down into that, there are so many people who say they follow Jesus, who call themselves by the name of Jesus, who know a lot about Jesus, you would think that they'd be really good at outlandish love. But these same people sometimes, and again, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular, I'm just saying in general, these same people who call themselves by the name of Jesus, I see some of the things they say and some of the things they do, their actions, and, and I wonder, they're so far from outlandish love that I kind of wonder sometimes if, if, if some of us, when we get to stand face to face with Jesus and, and we get to see the kind of outlandish love he's calling us to, that we might be like, I can't believe I missed it that badly. I, I, I can't believe that's what you were about. And as I read the scripture and as, as I lived out my faith that, that I missed outlandish love so completely. And at that point, they'll be, we'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. And there'll be confession and repentance. And, and of course, grace, because Jesus is Jesus. But I, I want you to see, I, I, we don't want to miss this. This is something we want to get. We, we want to understand this. and We want to live it. We want to employ this as a reality in our lives. So let's drill down a little bit on, on what love is. I'll start by saying this. There is, there is no more overused word in the English language than love. I love my wife and I love tacos. I love Jesus and I love football. Do you see? There are all these different levels of love. So, so let's take a look. If you're filling in the blanks, the first level we're going to talk about today is 30,000 foot level of love. The 30,000 foot level of love, also called distant love, remote love. And here's what it means. It's roughly the cruising altitude of a 747. Maybe you've had this experience. You, you take off, you're going somewhere in a plane and, and, and the plane takes off. And as the plane takes off, you look out the window and, and you see these tiny people moving around on the ground. And, and they're tiny people getting in their ant-sized cars, driving around this adorable little street. You're, you're flying for a little bit longer. You look, oh, look at that. That's a delightful hamlet nestled into a hillside. Oh, look at that lake town down there. It's so beautiful and tranquil. Apparently, you're flying over Middle Earth. And, and, and you're, you're just, look at the fields, the patchwork of all the fields. It looks like a giant quilt. Oh, I love the world. Oh, I, I just love it so much. It's adorable. Maybe not. But we might be tempted to have that sort of love and think that it's the kind of love that God has for us. That God loves us from a distance. That he loves the whole world. We love the whole world, we say. So we love just like God. Uh, maybe, maybe not. See, what the, what the Bible says is this in John 3, 16, probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. It says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now you look at that phrase, there's so much truth in it. For God loved the world so much. We're like, oh, I love the world so much. That he gave, we're like, oh, I'm not there. 
and, and, and so you see God's love for the world is a love that propelled him to give. And it's a love that propelled him to pursue. And it's a love that propelled him to sacrifice. That's the kind of love God has. He's so much better at love than we are. When we say we love the world, what we mean is I have benevolent feelings toward the world. I have good vibes for the world. It's kind of the spirit of Christmas idea, right? The Christmas time, we're just generally, we're like, oh, I want a, the whole world to be blessed, you know. And I just want to say this. It is easy to love the whole world. It is so easy to love people. It's the individuals that are annoying, okay? They're the ones that require the challenge. And so we have to recognize that this 30,000 foot level, this love from a distance, this remote love, it's not bad and it's not wrong. I'm not trying to shame anybody who has these feelings. That, that's great. It's far better than like hating the whole world, okay? But I want you to understand that's like, that's like the lowest level of love there is. There's a better level, a level that we're propelled toward. And, and Jesus, of course, our model for, for, for what this might look like and levels beyond. And, and this is it. If you're filling in the blanks, the second level is the ordinary love level. The ordinary love level, it's very common. It's, it, it, it's sort of universally, it's found all around the globe through all of history. And, and this is what it is. It's like an algebraic equation sort of love. In other words... The, the, the quotient, or the value on this side of the equal sign is the same as the value on this side. It's, it's gonna work out in a very proportional way. And so this is, I'm, I'm good to you and, and you're good back to me. This, I care about this person and this person cares about me as well. I pour out service toward this person and they end up serving me back and I, and I think good thoughts and I, and I say good things and I act with good deeds and all these things are returned to me, maybe in a spouse relationship or a friendship, parent-child, but there's this reciprocity and mutuality in this relationship. Does this make sense? Are you tracking with me so far? Ordinary love, it just, it just happens. And it's fun to do. You got a friend, so it's fun to serve them. And it's fun to build them up. And they receive it, and they build you up. And, and so you pour encouragement into them, and they're built up. And then they pour encouragement into you, and you're built up. And it's like this beautiful upward cycle of encouragement. It's this mutuality that, that everybody is rising up together. And I want to say this is a wonderful thing. It's absolutely beautiful and over like, I pray for you, I do pray for you, and I pray this often that you will have all kinds of relationships that are built on this kind of love. Your relationship with your significant other or your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with friends or parents, all, I would love for you to enjoy the mutuality that this kind of love affords. It's a beautiful thing and it's so good when it's happening in your life. But there is this thing that Jesus says. There, there is this thing that Jesus says about some of the attitudes that we have and some of the actions that we have, some of the ways that we behave, that we think we're working for God. And really what Jesus says is, no, no, that is its own reward. In fact, he says this several times, and I'll just read this to you. Uh, some of the translations say, truly I say to you, they have received their reward, or that will be their only reward. And, and, and what he's trying to say is, look, 
you're doing this thing and, and you're experiencing this reality and, and maybe you think that you're gonna get extra credit from God for that. But what he's saying is you just need to realize that is its own reward. You're already receiving reward in that thing. And I just want you to, maybe if, if this is tough for you, just think about how good it is when you are in a romantic relationship. Uh, I'm thinking uh, when Jody and I first were together and, and, and we were first courting one another and it was, it was a joy to serve her. And she received that joyfully and then she would serve me and, and, and I would care for her and she would care for me and it was this beautiful thing and it was completely exciting and wonderful and fulfilling. And for me to think that I was gonna get extra credit for that from God, like that's kind of silly because God's like, Mike, people like write movies about this kind of love, right? Like that, that's its own reward when it's that good, when it's that beautiful. That's, that's just, you don't get extra credit, that's reward enough. Does this make sense? By the way, Jesus says, look, everyone already loves like this anyway. He says, even the tax collectors love like this. So if those slimy, oily, you know, they, if, if they can do this kind of love, you certainly should be able to love those who love you back. Can I get an amen? Like, that's like, yeah. So in other words, there's nothing wrong with this kind of love. It's wonderful. I pray all over your lives. I really do. God's not down on this kind of love. He's just saying there's no extra credit for it. God's not down on this kind of love at all. It's just not the kind of love that's gonna transform the world. It's not the kind of love that's gonna feed the hungry or clothe the naked. It's not the kind of love that's gonna visit the sick and in prison. It's not the kind of love that's gonna bring the kingdom of God to earth. It's, it's not the kind of love that's gonna save anybody from their sins. Now for that, we have to look to Jesus. And we have to look to the level that Jesus lived and the level that Jesus taught and the level that transformation is compelling us toward. And it's the third kind of level. It's the outlandish love level. The outlandish love level, otherwise known as the crazy town level, right? This is the makes no human sense level, is in no way proportional level. This is loving people just because this is releasing all outcomes, and this is only possible when we are transformed by Jesus himself. So to be really, really clear, three different levels of love that we're talking about. I want to give you a visual image for this. Level one, 30,000 foot level. It, it's cute. It's, it's, it's adorable. It's a little puppy size, right? Little, little, little tiny, tiny poops, right? And then you've got the ordinary level. That's terrier size or cocker spaniel size. And that's, you know, it's just regular. It's, it's wonderful. It's reciprocal. And then you've got outlandish love size, right? Outlandish love. It'll own your home, right? It'll get on the couch. You don't want on the couch. It'll think it's a lap dog. It's not a lap dog. Like that's, that's the kind of levels that we're talking about. And outlandish love is the level that Jesus takes us to. So it, it, I'm going to talk about some components of it. You want to jot notes if, if you want or just listen. It, it, part of it's going to be this. Part of outlandish love is going to be when you love and you care and you serve people who can never repay in kind. So 
when you're caring for, for trying, to, trying to feed the hungry and you're trying to help the homeless and, and you're trying to serve those maybe with mental illness or, or, or you're, you're given and, and given and, and you know that the way in which you're given, it's never going to be repaid in kind. That's a little bit of what out, outlandish love looks like. And sometimes ordinary love can actually kind of become outlandish love, say in a marriage, when, when one of the spouses stops reciprocating and stops responding to love and, and you're here, maybe you're the, the, the spouse and you continue to pour love out and you continue to care and you continue to serve and you continue to, to try to give as much as you know how. You're, you're doing your very best and, and your spouse is not responding at all to you, but you never give up and you just keep going after it. That becomes outlandish. Maybe you're a parent, and it's been a long time since your child has responded to your love, but you just keep loving, and you just keep believing, and you keep praying, and you keep serving, and you keep blessing, and you keep showing up, and you keep hoping for the best, and, you, and even when your child ends up lying to you, and even when your child does stuff, you know they're manipulating you. You don't give up, and you don't write off. You just, as best you know, you just continue to believe, and you continue to serve, continue to give. That's outlandish love. And it's hard. This level of love is hard. So today, I just want to say, of all days, today you need to hear. I'm preaching to myself. You get to listen. This is really hard. I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty good at the 30,000-foot level love. I'm, I'm pretty okay at the ordinary love. But I want to tell you, this outlandish love, I need Jesus for it. And so do you. Right, this is hard hard stuff. It is not natural, so we got to lean into the supernatural for this one. Okay. Jesus is our example. Jesus loved more radically, more consistently, more outlandishly than anyone ever did. Jesus loved the man who betrayed him. Jesus loved the man who denied him. Jesus loved the people who beat him and spit on him and ripped the beard from his face and nailed the spikes through his flesh and propped him up on that cross. And he loved them so much, he prayed for them even in that moment saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is the one who sets the bar so high. It's so high, so holy, it's supernatural. And I do want to say this, because maybe you don't know a whole lot about Jesus. Maybe, maybe you don't know uh, very much about church. And, and this is something that people know about Jesus, even if they don't read the Bible, even if they don't go to church. Maybe the only thing that people know about Jesus they picked up from U2 songs and their, their freshman world religions 101 class. But in that case, one thing that gets communicated throughout culture, throughout history, is this. Jesus is the one who taught, turn the other cheek. Jesus is the one who taught, love your enemies. You can't find that anywhere else. It's, it's not in any other philosophy or other religion. It's just, this is so unique. It's Jesus and only Jesus. And it's what we need help with. Right? This is the challenge for us. And so, so here's what I want to do. I want to go right into the scripture. This is Luke chapter 6. And this is, there's so much good stuff in here. I want to recommend that you read through this through the week. Meditate on this stuff. Jesus says this. But to you who are listening, 
I say. Now, it's, you might want to understand that who are listening because there's always going to be people who don't want to listen, especially when it gets tough like this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Oh my gosh. This is outlandish. See, this, this kind of person, this could be your ex. This kind of person, this could be Al-Qaeda. Right? This, this kind of person, this could be the business partner that totally betrayed you and stabbed you in the back. This kind of person, this could be the guy in your office on every Friday, it's Blue Friday, and he shows up in his 49ers jersey. It could be that guy, right? But, but, but it's, it's, it's radical, and, 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 and what is he saying? He said, yes, Jesus says, it's good for you to love your friends. Yes, it's good for you to love those who love you back. Yes, but we want you to keep going, Jesus says. I want you to love those who annoy you and love those who vote differently than you and love those who see the world uh, not eye to eye than you and love those who swear at you and love those who try to put you down and love those who gossip about you. Are you tracking with me? This is real and it's hard. It's real hard. I just made that up. And you might look at this passage, you might say, well, I, I might be able to bless them, uh, you know, generally speaking, like have a benevolent thought. I, I might be able to pray for them, you know, that God would smite them, you know, or, or whatever. But I, I, at least I don't have to actually do anything for them. At least I don't have to actually show up and like be any way to them or do any, you know, kindness personally. And then Jesus, of course, goes on. He says, give to everyone who asks. Why don't you circle the word everyone and just recognize we don't. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's probably, universally speaking, the most famous quote ever from Jesus. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He's elevating, right, this, this ethic. He continues in verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Look at this. This is where the extra credit comes. And you will be the children of the Most High because look at this. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. See, this is what Jesus is transforming us into. He's transforming us into people who love outlandishly. He's saying, when you love outlandishly like this, when you give to those who are taking advantage, when you serve those who are manipulating you, people take stuff, you know they took it, you let them get away with it. Like, he's saying, you do this to your enemies, you, you're blessing those who are swearing at you. When you do this, when you're loving outlandishly like this, you're gonna be just like God in heaven. Because that's how he loves. And that's how he's loved you for your whole life. He's kept loving you and blessing you and pouring out his goodness on you. He's kept serving you, pursuing you, calling your name. And he's doing it to everyone on this earth. And when you start living like that, you're going to be just like him. That's what we're being transformed into. And that's what Jesus lived. And that's what he modeled. That's what he taught. Okay. 
Now, this reality that Jesus is talking about, it is not this idyllic pie-in-the-sky kind of poetic stuff that he's talking about. It's really, really practical. And it's practical for the people in the first century. We'll have to unpack it a little bit to make it practical for us in this century. This is what he says. This is in Matthew 5, 38. Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. You know, he's saying, look, someone slaps you on the face and you're in pain. Just turn the other cheek to them. He's not saying turn around, moon them. You know, like, this is not like, you know, get get, get clever, get cute, get mean. No, it's, it's, you don't even offer defense. You just turn the cheek. Then he keeps going. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. They get the shirt off your back. You know what you do? Make sure they get the matching coat, right? And you just over the top them. You're gonna love them outlandishly. They don't deserve it. That's mean, that's rude, that's manipulative, that's unjust, and yet you're gonna, you're gonna be over this by loving them outlandishly. And then he says this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Well, this doesn't readily relate to our culture today, so you have to do a little research. And you find that in first century Israel, the Romans were in charge. They had invaded. They were oppressing the Israelites. Heavy taxation. And there was a law on the books called impressment. What it meant was this. If a Roman soldier was walking along and they saw a Jewish man or a woman or a kid They could grab that citizen of Israel, make them carry the soldier's pack, which would weigh up to 100 pounds, and they would force them to walk with them one mile. That was the law. They could force them to walk one mile with them. That was, it's complete oppression. I mean, you could just imagine yourself. You're rushing around. You're trying to get everything done in in first century Jerusalem. You're trying to make sure your kid's getting a soccer practice. You're getting the groceries. You're doing your job, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, a Roman guard comes, and he puts his hand on your shoulder. He says, you're coming with me. Carry this thing. You're like, but I got to pick up. I got to do. I, gotta. I don't care. We got to walk. Let's go. You got to walk a mile. That's oppression. It's unfair. It was real. It happened all the time when Jesus is teaching this. And Jesus says, don't just go one mile with them. Offer to go to. You outlandishly love them. And it makes no sense, he says, but that's how you're supposed to do it. I bet you there are people who push back. Wait a sec, Jesus. Wait, what you're saying is this, that, that I carry his pack not just one mile, but two miles? Now listen, Jesus. If I carry the Roman soldier's pack, wouldn't it be a way of me agreeing with Rome's occupation of Israel? Wouldn't this be a way of of me sort of approving of this soldier's presence in my hometown where I know he has no presence? Wouldn't it be some some kind of a compromise in me saying that I agree with the law that oppresses my fellow citizens? Jesus doesn't seem to care at all. Jesus knows all that. He says, if you're asked to walk one mile, you offer to walk two. If they take your shirt, offer the coat that goes with it. If they slap you in the face, you offer the other cheek. This is outlandish. This is so, so difficult for us to get our minds around. 
And how it becomes practical today is that there, there are many people, many Christians, many followers of Jesus who call themselves by the name of Jesus, who think that the way they follow Jesus is by boycotting the people that they don't agree with, by refusing to serve the people they don't approve of. They call that taking a stand for their faith, standing up for their beliefs, they say. And, and, and yes, they are standing up for their beliefs. They're just not following Jesus. Because Jesus says, this is what you do. You serve and you give. Oh, but wouldn't that be a way of me affirming, approving? Wouldn't that be a way of me agreeing? No, no, no. If they say one mile, you say two. And this is really hard. Because we know, we can all think of examples of, oh, I stand up for my faith. I refuse to serve that person. I refuse to serve that person. I stood up for my faith. We kind of make heroes of those people. We say, oh, look, they're, they're, they're getting, you know, look, they're standing up. They're getting persecuted for their faith. No, they're getting persecuted for not serving when Jesus says serve. And you know what Jesus says? Look, if you do that, and it's your choice, you can do that. Because guess what? There's freedom. You can choose to do what you want to do. Jesus says if you choose to do that, you get your reward now. You know that 20 minutes of fame? That's your reward. That interview on CNN? That's your reward. You get to meet with the Pope, that's your reward. You're not getting extra credit with God. Take a stand by refusing to serve, that's one option. What Jesus tells us to do is to take a stand by loving outlandishly. Totally different. Totally different and, and, and totally challenging. I want you to hear me say, challenge is me. So I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. This is one of those things. And I know some of you, it's so controversial. You're already writing an email in your head right now to me. Don't, 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 please don't. I just want you to understand, I, I am, this, is, this has no, zero political agenda. I am not telling you how to vote. I believe that there needs to be outlandish lovers on all sides of the political spectrum. Absolutely. Okay. I'm just, this, is, this has nothing to do with legislative policy. It has everything to do with the transformed heart. And so we are called by Jesus to love outlandishly, right? And, and, and it, it is so high and it's so holy and it's so hard. That's why I need transformation. But it doesn't do you any good or me any good to pretend that Jesus doesn't take us there. That Jesus isn't calling us to, to model that kind of love. And it's, it's, it's just hard. It's just hard. So we need him. I do want you to know, and this probably never happens to you. It happens to me. Uh, and, and the reason why it happens to me is because I'm a preacher. I do want you to know I'm a preacher. Uh, but every once in a while, somebody will come to me, and, and, and they, they'll be like, Pastor, listen, I, I don't want you to preach your opinions. I just want you to preach what it says in the Bible in black and white. And I don't know why they sound like George W. Bush. I, don't, I really don't. But just tell me what it says there in, in the Bible in black and white. Well, this is, this is what it says in the Bible. And I'm sorry it's not in black and white. In most of your Bibles, it's going to be in red. Because these are the words of Jesus. And they're not just the words of Jesus. If they were just the words of Jesus, maybe we could write them off. If they were just the words of Jesus, maybe, maybe we could say, oh, he's having a bad day. Maybe he just, he had too much caffeine. He's just, oh, that was just coffee working through. No, no, he lived this. He modeled it so consistently. He modeled it all the way to the cross. And you're like, oh, Jesus, you're just a dreamer. You know what he says? You may say I'm a dreamer. 
I'm not the only one. I hope one day you'll join us. By the way, do you know what the Bible does not say? Jesus never says this. Jesus never says, change your mind to agree with your opponents. He never says that. He just says, you serve them. He never says, you need, you need to change your convictions so that you agree with this person. And, and, and so he never says to the people, look, you have got to be excited about that Roman oppression over you. Because here's the deal. If you suddenly ch- compromised your stance, if you suddenly uh, sort of uh, were agreeing with the Roman occupation, that would no longer be outlandish love, would it? That would descend into common love, ordinary love. No, no. He's saying even when they're your enemies and even when you disagree and even when they're on the opposite side of the spectrum and even when they're persecuting you, you love them outlandishly. I've seen this in action. I think maybe you have too. Every once in a while you see a beautiful picture of this in action. One time I was in Delhi and we were visiting our partners in India I was staying with Pastor Roderick. He's one of Overlake's partners. They've planted so many churches over there in India. It's just a beautiful movement of God. And I was over there with Roderick, and I was, I was in the car with him as we're zipping through Delhi. And if you've ever traveled uh, through, through Delhi, you just need to understand that, that just driving in a car through the city of Delhi is an otherworldly experience. It is just absolutely, you just have no idea. There are 18 lanes of traffic all simultaneously moving through a road built for maybe four lanes of traffic. And there are motorcycles zipping in and out and cows popping up everywhere and people aligning. Like it's just this crazy, you don't know if you're on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride or playing Russian roulette or I, you know, having a flashback from the 70s. Like, like it's just this crazy, crazy reality. And so we're driving through Delhi Pastor Roderick's driving, and all of a sudden, and we're going the flow of traffic in what seems to be a, a somewhat orderly fashion, and all of a sudden, from behind, a car strikes us hard. And so Pastor Roderick stops his car, the other car stops right behind, we're now blocking one of the three lanes of traffic, now 18 lanes going around us. And they get out, and they begin to talk, and, and they're, they're talking sort of right by me, I'm, I'm next to the window, the window's down, so I'm, I'm witnessing this whole event. And Pastor Roderick comes out and he begins to speak and he's speaking very quietly and calmly and, and the other man's very agitated and, and yelling and pointing. He's pointing to Roderick's car and then he's pointing to his own car. And yes, there was damage done by the impact, but you can also see that there's other damage that's been done. It's kind of rusted over. It's like damaged many times. And, and you could tell that he was trying to get Pastor Roderick to somehow take responsibility for, you know, a new car maybe and all this stuff. And and, and, and he kept getting louder and louder, and Roderick just kept getting softer and softer. And then Roderick reached into his wallet, and he opened it up, and he began to count money out. And at that point, the man got back into his car and drove away. And so Roderick gets in the car, and I said, hey, Pastor, my handy's a little rough. Could you tell me what happened out there? I'd love to know. And he, he, said, he said this. He said, the man was accusing me of being at fault. He said, even though I was going the flow of traffic, even though he struck me from behind, he was telling me that it was my fault and that I owed him a thousand rupee to fix the damage to the front of his car. 
And, and he said, all I did was I, I just pushed back. I said, no, I don't think it was my fault. I was traveling with the flow of traffic. If you think it's my fault, why don't we wait until the police come and they'll sort out who's at fault. And the man kept getting louder and more argumentative. And then he said to me, but I know you. You're supposed to be a Christian. And Christians are supposed to give to whoever asks them to give. That's called manipulation, isn't it? Yeah, that's, it's, it's violating justice. It's, it's not, you know, it's over, you know, it's just overwhelming Pastor Roderick's rights in that moment. And Roderick looked at him and said, is that what you know about Christians? You know you're right. We're supposed to love even our enemies. We're supposed to pray for those who mistreat us. And we are supposed to give to whoever asks. How much do you want for this? A thousand rupee? And he pulls out his wallet. How about if I give you 2,000? And he starts counting out 2,000 rupee. And the other man is so shamed, he gets back into his car and drives away. You know, maybe what Jesus is saying is you win the fight with outlandish love. Maybe what he's saying is you don't need to worry about winning the fight at all. I've already won the fight. Maybe what Jesus is saying is the only thing you need to worry about is transformation because transformation produces this outlandish love. And I know this is hard. I know this is tough. You realize Jesus preached like this and then they killed him. I'm not interested in following that same fate, so just settle down, right? But here's what I wanted. I, I would love for you to try to make this personal this week. Right now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about somebody in your life, somebody who's been hard for you to love, somebody who, is, who has not valued you, somebody who's been mean to you or gossiped about you, gone behind your back for something, Somebody who has disrespected you or dishonored you. Somebody who has been verbally abusive to you. I want you to just picture that person in your mind. It, it's hard to love that person. It's hard to care for them and to pray blessing on them. And it's, it's, it's hard for us to be the kind of people that love outlandishly, even when we're being met with, with things other than love. Hatred and abuse and persecution. But, but we're called to love. And what we're going to do is we're just going to ask Jesus for help in this because we need his help. You know, I really was meditating on where we are in America and how volatile this whole season is. With You know, the election's coming up next year and, and, and it doesn't even matter which debates you're watching. You're watching all the debates. It's just, it's just really interesting to see how polarized we are. Like every issue is so polarized. It's as if we think, and again, I'm just speaking to Christians now, followers of Jesus who are trying to put this into practice. It's as if we still think that we have a choice. I, I can love this person, but not this person. I, I, we, we were somehow still under this illusion that, that I get a choice. I can choose to love this person, and I can choose not to love this person. But Jesus is very clear. No, 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 I, I'm taking the choice away, he's saying. No, no, you gotta love this person and this person. And friends, the more we can get to this place, you'll see that, that it's actually not quite that polarized. We've got to figure out how to love both. 
we, we got to figure out, as followers of Jesus, and I'm only talking to the followers of Jesus right now, as followers of Jesus, we got to figure out, how do I love our African-American population and our police force? we we got to figure out, how do, I, how do I love the terrified pregnant teenager and the child growing within her? We've got to figure this out. How do I love Americans and everybody who's alive on this planet who's not an American, but all made in God's image? See, we don't get the choice. And by the way, and I am not making legislative policy, and I am not running for office. Thank God for that, right? I wouldn't last a day in politics. I'm just talking about a transformed heart. And I'm actually trying to be really vulnerable with you. I'm telling you again and again, this is what I, I'm challenged by. This is what's hard for me. It's not natural. And so we got to ask for a supernatural. We have to press into transformation. And the only way I know how to do that is to ask Jesus for his help. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's do that. Jesus, I want to thank you for how you love us. Thank you that your love for us, for the individuals in this room, for the individuals watching online, thank you that your love for us is outlandish, that it has been lavish, it's been profuse, it's been constant, that even when we have turned from you, even when we walked away, and we, even when we've lived a way that has not been approved by you or thought things or believed things that you did not agree with, you still love us. You are consistently for us. You keep serving us. You keep challenging us and calling our names. We're so thankful for your persistence in our lives. We call that kind of love outlandish, Jesus, and we ask that you would work in us now to be the kind of people that would love outlandishly. And right now, Lord, we wanna lift to you a face. We wanna lift to you a name. We wanna lift up before you an individual. We just confess that we have a tough time loving this person, that on our own strength and by our own power, we find ourselves bankrupt to do it. We, We just don't think we have it within us. And so, Jesus, here's what we ask. We ask that you would give us the courage to love this person We ask that you would give us the wisdom to know how to love this person. Not in a way that would continue abuse or manipulation, but in a way that would really reflect this kingdom value. That you call us to love our enemies. You call us to love those difficult to love. You call us to love when we're exhausted with it. And and so we ask right now, Lord Jesus, for your help. We ask that you would fill us with your outlandish love. Show us how we can love somebody outlandish this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.